Dragon Performance. My name is Tom Sham, your host. I'm the co-founder of Agile Media Group, joined by the real estate guy, Ryan Serhant, and the D2C guy, Nick Sharma. Excited to have these two individuals on the pod today. Um, two people I've looked up to a very long, look, looked up to for a very long time, and would love to introduce them real quick. Ryan Serhant is a reality TV star turned real estate mogul. In total, he's sold over $6 billion worth of real estate, making him the number one broker in New York City. And he's, follow, he's the most followed real estate broker on social media, so be sure to check him out. Nick Sharma, widely known, as I said, as the D2C guy, a Forbes 30 under 30, Ad Weeks Young and Influential, um, someone that most investors and brands turn to for help. Um, active CEO of Sharma Brands, Hooks 1180, where clients like Feastables, uh, Chamberlain Coffee, Rock Nation, Everlane, um, all look to. So welcome to Dragon Performance, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so how, uh, for the audio-only listeners, um, how would you describe what is happening right now? We are in the Pope Mobile. Yeah, we are in the Pope Mobile. <laughs> We're in basically a glass box in the middle of Fifth Avenue. Yeah, it's, it's pretty New Yorker. There's uh, hot the vibe. dogs, bikers, yeah. U-Haul trucks. But we lucked out. It's a nice day. Yeah. Beautiful day. Yeah, What's funny, I mean, in my world, we are parked outside the, the now in limbo Flatiron building that almost sold the last week, and then the buyer oh, yeah. defaulted on his purchase price. Was that even he, real? He just missed his down payment of $19 million, and now Jesus. the building is like in the judge's hands of trying to figure out what to do, and we're parked right outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right, timely. Um, Nick, Ryan, do you guys know each other? I probably knew you a long time ago, just through content. Uh, the best thing I learned was when you look at a, a nice place, yeah. you got to look at the the marble as it goes over an edge. If the marble is yeah, if the yeah. waterfall is consistent, <laughs> that's good marbling. If it's not consistent, it's probably a cheap spot. You want the uh, the marbling to go up and down, so it feels taller. Yeah. And then outside of that, we met at um, Uncharted. Shout out to Noah. Yeah, so that's where we initially met. Yeah. It's right. like an entrepreneur kind of like VC angel investor conference. Yeah. yeah. Um, that do a lot of things in the city. I mean, it's, I mean, the greatest part about living in New York is there's a lot of associated marketing events, like even for people. Like every single person on the street, if we stood outside right now and you just said hi to 10 random strangers, one of those people could have a massive effect on your life. Totally. Totally. That's yeah. what I tell every new person who moves here. I'm like, you have the benefit of being surrounded by potential value add here. I couldn't agree more. I mean, like, that's why I moved to New York. This in our CPG ecosystem, like, yeah, it's, it's all here. It, it's, it's insane. I don't know where else you could build these businesses. So, um, I'm going to give you guys a quick lay of the land. So we're obviously in a truck. So the theme is there's a few stops on this route. Okay. The first Sweet. stop is going to be origin story. So the inflection points, formidable moments that made you guys who you are today. Sure. The second stop is going to be specific questions for each of you. And the third stop is going to be sort of intersectionality questions where um, it's going to be one question posed to both of you so we can get both of your diverse perspectives. And step, stop four is a segment we call the hot box, uh, a tongue-in-cheek riff on the hot seat, which will be a lot of fun. And then stop five is literal end where we'll wrap and uh, send you guys on your way. So Ryan, I want to start with you. Um, you have a really great story of, you know, just the backstory of how you got where you are today is just so different from where that story started. So I'd love for you to just take us back in time, um, you know, trying to be, you know, things like an actor and all the, all the way to Craigslist ads to really get your start and the scrappiness that got you on million dollar listing. Yeah, I mean, I'll try to be as efficient as I possibly can. I, my biggest thing has always just been saying yes to opportunity. Like, other than drugs and, like, other illegal <laughs> things, I say yes to most things. At least I did when I was younger, because you just never know. Right. Like, that's where I've met the best people. That's, I mean, that's how I'm in this room right now. Like, hey, do you want to come to this uncharted event? Uh, sure. <laughs> like, let's go. Let's see who I meet. See what happens. Right. You know, and now we're all sitting in this room, and I think that's that's the best part about you know life today, which is why I think it's so hard for people who choose to just, just, just work at home. Like there's only so many people you can meet in your house. Anyway, um, born in Texas, grew up outside Boston, went to college in upstate New York. Only thing I was good at was was theater. I tried to go to law school. I took the LSAT, totally bombed it. Was like, all right, and so came to New York in 2006 um, to do theater and film TV if I could. And it's a much harder business than what they teach you in college. Right. You know, they don't actually teach you the business. They just teach you how to be a tree. It's all theory versus application. Correct. Right. So there's no application for it. It's just sort of, you know, best of luck. And um, uh, got onto a soap opera pretty quick and then got killed off pretty quick. In a soap opera? Just murder? Yeah, I was Dr. Evan Walsh IV on As the World Turns, and I took a syringe to the chest oh. while trying to hold my grandmother hostage on the roof of a... <laughs> 
hate hospital. When that <laughs> yeah. I know she like wrestled it, and it was it was a bad day for me. Cause I also meant I got fired and like paychecks done. <laughs> yeah, right. is know? that how they fire you? They just kill you? Yeah, you just read a script one day. I mean, I'm sure for the people that have been there forever, they talk to you. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I was so new, and it was like really short lived, and. You know, you just read a script one day, and it's like, da-da-da-da-da, fights this person. Okay, this doesn't look good for me. And then it was, <laughs> Evan Walsh Forth succumbs to lethal injection. I'm like, do I come back? Like, what happens? They're like, nope, nope, yeah, you're done. Turns into a zombie. But it was really? cost-cutting. You know, it was, um, uh, CBS was really, really cutting. People weren't watching soap operas the way they used to because right. they had social media. They had reality TV. Totally. Anyway, um, so ran out of money, and it was get a survival job or go home. And my parents were in Colorado at the time. Right. And I didn't want to get a survival job because I knew actors who were like 50 and 60 and 70 years old who still had their survival job from when they were 24. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I do that, I am screwed. <coughs> I'll, be, I'll be comfort sucked into it. it is and so I got my real estate license because a friend said it's the same thing as acting. Memorize information, talk to strangers. That's like, that's the same thing. And just rent apartments. And I lived actually, we're parked right now on 23rd and 5th. So my apartment's on 31st and 5th, which is right in Koreatown. Koreatown's 31st, 32nd, between 5th and Broadway. Um, and those were all my first deals, and I just became addicted to it early on. I was like, because when you're, when you're an actor in New York City, um, it's really, really tough. And all you do is deal with rejection, like to your face, right. because of your face. Right? <laughs> and as a real estate agent, it's like people would reject you, but it wasn't because of my hair or my nose. Who gave you that advice? A friend of mine from college who uh, was also a theater major who, like, you know, didn't have some money saved up from summer jobs and stuff. And so he was doing really, really well in real estate and had like an apartment with a doorman and had like suits and could afford food and stuff. And I was like, oh, the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I I just started renting apartments and just became addicted to it. And one thing after another, I I put theater totally to the side. I hand modeled a little bit to pay my bills. um, And that was good. That paid way better than the soap opera did. Holding phones for AT&T and like, Epidemic. you know, Nespresso capsules and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went to an open casting call that was just wide open in early 2010 for Millionaire Listing, the New York version, and 3,000 real estate agents showed up to the Hudson Hotel and they picked three of us. Wow. And then I started filming that in 2011, was on the show for 10 years. In the real estate journey, where were you when you actually went to that casting call? My first Pretty day in the real estate business was the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy on wow. September 15, 2008. Oof. And then my first year, I was only doing it to pay my rent. Like, if I could make $2,000 a month doing real estate, that gave me the rest of the month to do what I really wanted to do, which was, like, go do Romeo and Juliet in the park and make short films. Right. And I was doing, like, regional shows in Vermont and hand modeling still. Right. You know, I made, like, nine grand in real estate my first year, so I was not good at it. But I just, I got a lot more joy out of the potential of meeting strangers on the street that could potentially yeah. be clients than like going and sitting in an audition for six hours to then not be chosen. And all it does is cost you money. Right. right. Um, and then, you know, everything was great. I built the number one selling sales team in New York City history from 2016 till 2019. And at that point I was like, I'm gonna go and start my own company. All right, and so just to recap that performance um, since launch, closed $160 million in deals in 2020, 1.5 billion in deals in 2021, closed 2 billion in 2022, what are you thinking on 2023? What's the market like? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> this market is uh, uh, correcting incredibly hard, but it's what we all anticipated. Like, we, we knew what was going to happen. The real estate market was like a Black Friday sale, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Honestly, nationally, 2021 was the strongest real estate market uh, the United States, and I'm sure the globe, has ever known in history. 2021 was like by far and away the greatest market in terms of velocity, in terms of price points, absorption days. Like it just, every stat was just obliterated. 2023 has started um, uh, and looks to be the worst real estate market the United States has known since 1981. And it's because it's everyone who wanted to buy, they bought already. Right. Every seller who wanted to sell, if you didn't sell in the last couple of years, right. you don't want to sell now because you can't afford to sell and your buddy Bob did sell, and he got twice what you're being told you can get now, yeah, so that makes you so feel bad. Psychology. And so everyone, it's like the great American renovation. Right. Like everyone's renovating, doing additions, trying to figure out how to make things work. Yeah. And you have mass layoffs, inflation's a real thing, and people are being pinched now. So, um, you know, it's about being efficient this year. What about you, Nick? What, uh, let's, let's run through the, the quick hits on uh, Nick Sharma's story. Um, yeah, it's basic, it's not as cool as Ryan. 
but it's um, pretty cool. Started uh, actually, probably I would say it started when I was a kid. I loved like uh, I, I I knew that you know, for example, sitting in history class was not going to contribute to anything that I wanted to do in the future. But I did really love sales. I loved um, transactions. I loved every Sunday reading the newspaper and looking at uh, Best Buy and Circuit City and Fry's, comparing the deals and see who had the best deals. And um, you know, eventually that led to, in high school, doing social media with different celebrities, um, working with them on nothing too crazy. I mean, I barely knew marketing at the time, so right. it was a lot of, you know, at the time Facebook and Twitter management, coming up with posts, figuring out. How do we jack up engagement? How do we get um, you know likes and followers up? From there, I went to uh, actually I did horrible in school. I didn't get into any great colleges and ended up taking an internship out of high school, basically at, at, after senior year, at a ad tech company. And the deal was, <clears throat> if if this guy could get my flight and had a bed for me, um, I'd just come work for free. And um, it was very much like the Gary Vee model, I guess. Right. And so um, went up there, and you know, it was everything from getting this guy salad to fixing his backpack zipper, to then sitting in on sales calls and learning how sales works and the psychology of a good sales call and how to get information and context and then play on that. And um, ended up staying at this ad tech company for just under two years. Um, did a bunch of sales and business development there. So the articles that you read on CNN or wherever at the bottom, it's, there's that section you may also like, and it's usually you know you won't believe what Ryan Serhant looks like ten years later, and it's a slideshow. Yeah. And um, so I was helping those clickbait guys on Facebook, and that's sort of how I started to learn performance marketing, and uh, the psychology of good creative and good content, what makes people click, and um, I did that for a while as a, basically as a contractor freelancer. Then joined a company called Hintwater and built their e-commerce business. Uh, it's pretty much how I learned e-commerce. Right. Um, and then came out to New York and started uh, Sharma Brands. And the idea was, you know, how do we create this red carpet experience for brands where they, you know, a CMO wants to bring a company here. Let's say they want to bring a brand from the UK to the US. They don't want to deal with who to hire and what to do and what process and what tactics to learn. They just want to tell one person. And that person can handle it for them. Right. And so we sort of, yeah, we became that person for tons of brands, um, really around when they're launching or if they're, you know, big and and um, scaling. And so that's sort of the the story to Sharma Brands. And then from there, um, similar to to Ryan, found other opportunities where, you know, as I was producing content and getting in front of more eyeballs, um, I became known well for direct to consumer and e-commerce. <clears throat> And I saw two other white spaces where we could jump in, do things that are pretty practical and you know nothing like revolutionary, but practical and uh, easy easy hold to fill basically. And started those companies as well. Yeah, awesome. All right, so we're gonna get to stop to here. Give you guys um, some some questions in an alternate manner. And Ryan, I want to start with you. So I want to talk a, a bit about marketing and sales. You you have a book on it, Sell It Like Sirhan. You have a reality TV show where you help people prove their sales and. You seem to be on a mission on how to help people how to sell, or as you say, help them assure. And you know, you do marketing. Um, it goes all the way back to buying ads for Craigslist postings, which I think is, is a great growth marketing hack. Um, so it's all we knew how to do. Right. <laughs> like that was it. <clears throat> now it's like, ooh, that was creative. But back then, it was like, that's what you did. So you mean to tell me that I can integrate my shop with you in less than a minute? You store all my inventory across your 50-plus fulfillment centers in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe, and Australia, and then fulfill all of my orders globally with over a 99% order accuracy rate? That's right. We do that for over 7,000 brands today. And you can do that for all my D2C, B2B, and Amazon orders? Yep. And when my next TikTok video goes viral or during the holiday rush, you can grow with me forever? Yes, again. Dang. That's the ship, Bob. Check out ShipBob at ShipBob.com to unlock your fulfillment provider that acts as your personal chief supply chain officer. Where does marketing fit into your company's like, flywheel today? How do you think about it as um, something that enables the rest of the things that you, you're pursuing? So we are a content-to-training-to-commerce business for real estate. So we have, a, we have three businesses. Uh, one is a production company for real estate. 
it's actual real estate, it's developers, it's new construction, it's real estate agents, it's everything real estate adjacent that creates all organic content. That organic content drives lead flow for salespeople and people who need salespeople. Right. The salespeople come into the funnel either and come into our brokerage if they're qualified right. in the places that we're licensed, or they go into education where we train them on how to sell, how to build their sales careers, you know, webinars, it's a membership business. Um, uh, uh, and from there, we connect those salespeople around the world with people who need salespeople. So buyers, sellers, developers, architects, contractors, designers, you name it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but to make all of that go round, right? We have a creative agency called Sirhan ID Lab, which does all the ID ideation. So everything that's not in motion, which our studio does, they do. And we're, I mean, we're professional marketers. Like, right. You know, we by the time this has come out, I mean, we'll have announced our first rollout for expansion markets across the United States. Hey, and our, exciting. Our marketing is in conjunction. You know, a big press release. Combined with a, you know, we staged an emergency press conference, kind of like the NFL, yeah, but it's yeah, got yeah. like all the microphones and oh, everything, yeah. and it's it's like a mix. It's like funny smart. So it's right. like, hey, here's what we're doing, but it's also like, will my daughter who's four succeed me in the next two years? Is that part of the plan? And like throwing in some humanizing elements to it. <laughs> yeah. But my whole job is to to market, right? Like we 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 are in the business of cutting through the noise, like literally, right? You know, like we're we're doing a podcast in a glass box and. <laughs> one of the noisiest avenues ever. Um, uh, and I had to do that for sales. Like right. whether you have a million dollar property or you have a $250 million penthouse, right. I, I'm not getting, we're not getting paid or hired because we can turn the lights on or because if someone says, hey, I'll buy it, we're, you know, we are gonna say, sure. Right? It's, you get hired so that you can go out and fish. Yeah. Right? Who's, the better f at, who's the best at fishing? And that's really marketing. How do you cut through all that noise? How do you drive attention? Um, and how do you make people say, hey, I was going to buy that, but I'm going to come and buy this. Yeah, you get their attention. And a lot of that is done through YouTube now, especially at lower prices. Like, we sell property through YouTube, YouTube Shorts, um, uh, TikTok, even LinkedIn now every week. Where was it and where is it now and where, where do you think it's moving? Uh, well, I only had a Facebook when I got into real estate in 2008. Like, I guess, like, I wasn't even on Twitter. There's no point for me if it was around. I don't even remember. I feel like when I got into real estate, Twitter was still like, it was, about to be, it was like Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how you knew about it, right? Because right, they were right. tweeting at each other in their own house. <clears throat> right. Um, uh, but it was Facebook, but it was also Facebook was just keeping up with my college friends. Right. Right. Um, uh, our main source of getting business was on Craigslist or just the street or the right. marketing. Like, Blocking the tackling. Yeah. I wasn't from New York. Like there was no, there was no, like no script for how to become a real estate agent in New York if you did not go to New York schools. Right. If you're not from New York and in the New York scene, and this yeah. is either your second career, so you're going through like a spouse, right? Right. Or you're from these schools, best of luck. Right. Most people kind of, like the attrition rate for New York City real estate agents is like 90%. Yeah. You know, it's in terms of people who bail. It's just too hard. It's too expensive. Totally. So people just bounce out. Um, uh, but the game has totally changed. And I saw that once Million Dollar Listing started, there was a lot of crazy people reach out, but then people would see things on TV and then Google and then email through our website, say, hey, is that still available? And typically it wouldn't be because Million Dollar Listing would shoot, it took, would take right. a year to film the season and then it would come out. I was like, what if we had more control over that process um, and I could create content and put it out to a mass audience tomorrow? Right. And then maybe the same thing would happen. And I'll never forget, like we had a townhouse in Chelsea and we created a video for it, and it was an impossible to sell townhouse in the high teens, millions, yeah. right? Put it out there, no one wanted to see it, and then this broker reaches out to us and said, hey, um, I'm helping a woman find a townhouse on the east side of Manhattan. Um, her daughter saw some video, and now the mom wants to come see it. And I was <laughs> like, what house? And he's like, I don't know, some video on the th my, my kid, the thing, and I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. on YouTube, really? And uh, the mom came and saw the house. She wouldn't even look at anything on the west side of the city. She only wanted the east side. Right. She came and saw it. The house was perfect for her. The broker was like, well, I never sent it to you because you only told me you wanted the east side. Right, right. She Access to information. Yeah, she bought different. that house for $15 million. Wow. And so the point of first substantive contact was a YouTube video. Right. And at that point, we were like, this is real. No one else is doing it. Let's go hard. All right, Nick, switching over to you. Um, you have some really high-profile clients, uh, probably some be using Ryan in short order here. But you know, you're working with a company like Peaceables with Mr. Beast. 
um, who's another like content kingpin. Uh, there's a lot of people that he could be choosing to work with, and yet he's working with Sharma Brands, as are a lot of really influential people. So I still want to talk about the evolution from you know that origin story to working with some of the the behemoths in the industry today. One is this approach of you know um, we have this thing we call or that I I consider called the the Kim K red carpet experience, which is at any point. Whoever is putting on the experience has to pretend you're Kim Kardashian's assistant at a red carpet. Right. Kim's walking the red carpet. She's got to have no questions. Everything has to be right there. She needs to be prepped before. Everything needs to be smooth during. And um, so that's the approach that we take when it comes to marketing, whether it's like a, a, a piece of creative, a, a site experience. We try to treat it like a red carpet experience. But even with our clients, we do the same thing. I think the other piece is, um, like Ryan mentioned, the content. The content gets in front of eyeballs so fast. I mean, that's how I met you. Yeah. The newsletter. And it's it's um, it's something you can read on your own time. You don't have to, you know, we don't have to get on a call. It, it's asynchronous, basically. Right. And um, you know, a lot of people like when we met first, I felt like I had a relationship with Ryan. So the other part is the content, getting content in front of people's eyes, and that's a combination of the newsletter. Uh, it's the podcast, limited supply. It's jumping on podcasts like this. Right. It's, um, uh, you know, I think, yeah, content in general is huge. Like, and, and depending on the type of content, I've noticed it gets in front of different people. Long-form content gets me in front of the CMO of Patron, and short-form content gets me in front of you, for example. Right. Um, generational. Yeah, device. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the last part is, you know, is probably... Um, it's not, not that tactical, but like, you know, there's this Indian or immigrant mindset that you have coming to, or not coming to, but being in a different country or, you know, sort of like having this chip on your shoulder. And I would say the combination of those three is probably why, you know, somebody like Mr. Beast or Emma Chamberlain works with Sharma Brands. Um, they get well taken care of. They know that we're on their offense. We're right on the front line with them. Right. And, um, you know, we'll do everything we can to make sure that we accomplish their goal. How do these clients find you? A lot of it is content, like email newsletter. Newsletter is probably the biggest driver of con of uh, of inbound, but also forward it to people. And yeah, exactly. So like, uh, on it's, it's edutainment also. It's like it's There's like reading actual... a reality show. Is how I try to try to uh, write it. Like I, I write it as if I'm just talking. Sure. And it's, um, it's so like not overproduced and accessible. I think is the magic right. of it. People in a world where everyone's trying to be like, I'm a thought leader. Here's like all these like yeah, bullet yeah, points yeah, and yeah. data and sources. Yeah. And you're just like doing. How is what you do changed over like the last three years? It's, um, well, and how I much would of say, what you think about, sorry to hijack, yeah, no, but like, and how much of what you think about is a mixture of like paid versus earned, like earned versus owned? It's, well, so the, the biggest change has been just like, look, we, we cannot eat to the bottom line. We have to grow the bottom line versus just grow the top line. Even when I was at um, Hint, the goal was always, okay, we got to grow top line. Bottom line, you know, for a beverage specifically, bottom line doesn't matter because as soon as you get acquired and they have their own trucks and shelf space, bottom line gets cut. Yeah. Um, but everybody we work with now is basically, you know, our, our, our metric went from ROAS to PROAS, profitable ROAS. So instead of looking at every dollar we spend and every dollar we make, we look at every dollar we spend and what's the net contribution margin of the dollar we made. Um, that's probably the biggest difference, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to, to real estate, I think like you know, 2020 and 2021 were, the, were the, probably the biggest years of, uh, of transaction in retail, e-commerce, direct-to-consumer. Um, and then everybody over-ordered and you know, filled up their 3PLs. And, and, everyone, um, everyone went back to work. Yeah. yeah. And then well, last year, everybody went back to work. Yeah. I think the levels went down right to where it was in 2019 sure. and is slowly going up. The businesses, though, that were very disciplined from the beginning, the ones who said, all right, we're not going to go raise a, a crazy amount of money. We're going to be super anal about profitability. Yeah. We're going to watch every single dollar. Those businesses have continued to grow quarter over quarter and not have any impact. Um, but the ones that did fundraise a bunch and blew a ton of money or you know, they just did crazy stuff, um, they were the ones that had to take a hard reset. What's your most fun launch you've done to date? Oh, I'm just very interested in what he does. <laughs> That's why you guys are together. I'd say Feastables was a huge one for that exact reason. It was it was crazy to see the world's reaction to that. A lot of times it's like you know our team and, and our client or our our client and some press, but like this was the world's reaction to a brand that we launched, which was really cool. 
um, in addition to, you know, it's like you, you just get to that, it, it, you get to a different level in terms of like the people you work with and, you know, instead of working with, for example, just our solutions engineer at Shopify to watch the launch, sure. we're working directly with Harley to make sure that, you know, his team is on the launch and making sure nothing breaks. But Shopify. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, I'd say that was a lot of fun. The other one that was a lot of fun is a showerhead brand called Jolie, which is basically Dude, a filtered... I've done, I've, we have Jolie showerheads in our building in, in Lower Manhattan. The Let's building go. called Jolie. Amazing. Oh. And so we did like a piece of content where like my full suit, I got into the shower. Oh, that's amazing. Head and <laughs> yeah, so that one was a lot of fun just because... Uh, did you ever see the marketing for it, like the water report? Probably. Did you ever see that? I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, so it's basically like you put your zip code, your email, your phone number, and they will run your zip code through the EPA's API, oh, grab all the toxins that are in your local water, oh, send you an email with a report, and then say... It's like 23 of me for your water. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Wait, I didn't know I was so... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, well, do you want to buy it now? <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, those, those two are probably the most fun launches. Over 7,000 customers like Pet Lab, Chamberlain Coffee, Hero Cosmetics, Spikeball, Dossier, TB12, Pit Viper, 100 Thieves. Tens of millions of packages shipped every year. 50 plus fulfillment centers across the US, Canada, UK, Europe, and Australia. An app store with 50-plus integrations like Shopify, Amazon, NetSuite, and many more. Managed inventory distribution, D2C and B2B fulfillment capabilities. 99.96% of order shipping on time. 99.95% order accuracy rate. Yep, we're talking about ShipBob again. We know picking a fulfillment partner or 3PL is not easy. And equally importantly, we know you never want to have to move or pick another one. That's why we partnered with ShipBob. From 0 to 100 million in sales, ShipBob has you covered. So, you know, I think we talked a lot about content and, and different strategies. Edutainment is one of them, that bridge between education and entertainment. Ryan, I wanted to ask you a few questions about, like, what do you think we're moving towards from, like, a macro perspective in, in the future of education? Well, I think it's, it's pretty clear. I think the bachelor degree goes away. Like, you're starting to see schools close down now. Right. Right? Like, it's just too expensive to run, let alone expensive to go to. Um, and I think most people... Um, are no longer seeing the benefit in higher education unless you are incredibly, incredibly specific with what you want to do in the right. future. You and most people just don't age. know, right? Yeah. Most, like to go and get a liberal arts degree in English literature, like I, I'm glad I went and did that um, because I needed those four years to make me an adult. But had I needed student loans, like fuck my life. Totally. You know, yeah. like there's other ways to grow up. Yeah. Um, uh, and now... Like, you know, um, people talk about it all the time, but it's like, okay, is this generation that we're dealing with now, the younger generation, are they lazy or do they just have more options? You know, and they like, I see it all the time. We hire young employees all the time and they're working and it's like, hey, this is what the comp is, this is how we can pay you. But then they can make more money creating content and selling it back to brands for like 2000 a pop. Right. And they can just crank it out and they don't have to work on my schedule or listen to me or do anything I want to do. And so I think the bachelor degree goes away. I know that in the United States, by 2027, 50% of the workforce will consider themselves in some way, shape, or form part of the gig economy, which means they're all going to be selling something. Right. And so for us, you know, uh, we first got into education because people would watch Million Dollar Listing around the world, and then they would email me about how the way we were doing deals helped them sell a car or sell advertising or sell a client on their orthodontic services, like the most random stuff. And we're like, right. what is this? I guess the way I sell could be applied to selling anything to anyone, anywhere, totally on any device. So let's write a book. And so I put like my, my agent, I called it like my, my agent manual that was like this thick and I just made it much thicker and called it, sell it like Sir Hant and then turned that into the TV show um, for Bravo. And then from there, we turned it into an online educational platforms, not just a course. Like I never wanted to do a reality TV guy course, but like a real place where salespeople of all industries could come together and learn how to sell better. And what's wild about it is that like, yes, we have a lot of real estate agents on there. It's like 15,000, I guess, in 110 countries now. Wow. And so we've had to build a big staff to support it and grow it and grow it. But it's also all the other people who sell, who've come to us like you're, and we ask them every time they come in, why are you here? Right. You know what? Like, I'm the real estate guy. And they're like, oh, sorry, where else do I go? 
Like to do what? Like to learn how to sell, and I, I, I sell shirts on Etsy. Right. Is there a place you can tell me, I've watched one video on YouTube, but there's nothing there, and you have a platform, you have a membership, you have brand strategy, you have mentorship. Like I need to invest into myself to grow because I need to sell, and like I can't learn this at school anywhere. And we're like, okay. And then, um, and then we've just been building ever since, and it's, you know, you think about like pro athletes, you know, like a quarterback will have five coaches, you know, one for each arm, you know, they've got the cardio coach, the strength coach, the game coach, the, the quarterback coach, more than yeah, five, right? It's totally. nonstop, and they spend 90% of their year practicing and 10% of the year in the game, right. you know? And Salespeople yeah. spend 99% of their year Flipped. in the game 1% of the year practicing, but only because they have to for their license. Yeah. Right. You know? And if you just shift that even just a little bit, you can make a massive difference in someone's income. And so I get major, major benefit from watching people like grow their careers and make more money and get that car they've always wanted and go and get that two bedroom they've always wanted and get the how the, you know, they go on vacation and not be stressed out about right. money. Like that's I think pretty awesome and we wanna eventually be the place to go to learn how to sell anything to anyone. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, Ryan, because, you know, I went to school, I studied, like, finance, computer science, Chinese, all things on paper that were, like... Oh, that's what you do now, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and uh, to your point, it actually, I think, set me down the wrong path for a long time because now I'm in sales and marketing. I love it. It's always been in my blood. Like, what was I doing behind a computer for so long, writing code, talking to now on a, 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 an industry that rewarded just, like, brute force misery... And I, I just, like, you know, I was in the bottom quartile of that. And then I, I think the issue that's always been with standard academia is, yes, it's too theoretical, not application-based enough, but also they don't teach you sales. And so, like, right now, for example, I'm trying to hire salespeople. You're, you're always hiring salespeople. It's the hardest thing for me because anyone who's super talented, been in the industry for 20 years, now they're at a price point where it's just inaccessible. Anyone who's young is like, oh, I don't know if I'm good at sales, I don't know if I want to do sales. So I, I do think there's a massive market opportunity by tapping into that, that skill base. Um, One of the things that I've also been trying to do, and Millionaire Listing definitely helped with this, is like, make sales cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Like being in sales, I think for the long, like if you told me when you I was used a little to be like kid. slimy. Yeah, sales is slimy, yeah. sales is terrible, car salesman, all this But what you realize is like, okay, so you know, you talk about Mr. Beast, right. content creator, right? You do feastables for him, makes chocolate. But what they're really in is in chocolate sales. Right. Right? So how do you survive? Well, Everyone's we have to sell sales. the software. So I'm like, so you're not in software, you're really in software sales. Right. And you have to make good software, but everyone is in. And so we've, we've now started to do more to like B2B, which I never thought we would ever do. To like major, major corporations who That's come so to us now. And I'm like, so because they are, in terms of their training, they are so product specialized, right? right? Instead of sales specialized, so they, they really know how to train their sales staff on selling that product, but they don't actually focus on helping the staff sell. And then they end up letting go of lower performing salespeople, and then it's a six-month ramp-up process for the next person. So we come in, and we're actually not really a cost. We're more of a savings. Like, totally. Look how much money you're going to spend over the next 18 months. I'm replacing poor salespeople. Yeah. If you could just invest into them to be better salespeople, your product is great. It sells itself. Well, now that you have this, you can get a lower salesperson in the door, have run them through your course uh, or your program, and then now they're at your standard. Oh yeah. Like instead of hiring a rock star, can you build? A, can you? Can you? Uh, you know. Yeah. Is mold it, a rock listen, star. Is sales for everybody? No. Like if you don't like talking, it's gonna be hard. Right. Right. Um, but you don't have to have some effervescent like personality right. to be good in sales, right? You have and to find you have to find the one thing that's authentic to you, really start to amplify it, learn the strategies, learn the techniques, understand strong follow-up, understand how to be a professional. And if you want to do it, it just sales takes a significant amount of get up and go. Right. It takes a lot of initiative. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing to train anybody with. If you don't want to get up and go, Sales is probably not for yeah. you. It's like, a lot of the same, yes. Resilience, yeah. too. I mean, you got to just be able to be like, all right, didn't go. Just get, get the fuck back in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, can you quickly just talk us through, like, what going through a program is? And so, like, certain hands is um, both asynchronous and cohort. So asynchronous is you have digital content, you have webinars, you have, you know, right. you have coaching, everything. You can do it on your own whenever you want, okay? Um, uh, and then you have cohort-based, which is where you do it live. 
Right. There's a lot of people that will never do it on their own, right? They have to do it live. So we have that too. Um, uh, and then for businesses, they come to us and we run sales assessments on their salespeople. So we start with a baseline assessment of this is where your salespeople are, this is what they're good at, this is what they're bad at, this is what you actually need to do better, right. boss, because you might say you're great, but nine out of 10 of your sales yeah. team says you're not, and maybe they just have never told you. This is where we're going to help them improve. And we have a whole, there's a whole series of different levers, right? And then we run them through that program and then reassess. And if they're better, and if it's in line with greater gross revenue, and there's a lot of market factors, like of course. you know, the market can't be tanking, and we're helping people get up, but if we're also hopefully maybe keeping people more motivational. What we find they like the absolute most is um, we give, especially sales teams at larger companies, a, a a great sense of community, which I know you guys talk a lot about a lot on this podcast um, uh, within the sales organization in as much as it relates to outside sales organizations. Like the sales teams at IBM don't usually talk to the sales teams who sell Bloomberg terminals. Right. We don't right. usually talk to 15,000 real estate agents. But now they can share ideas and right. share different Diversity. ways. So if you think about like, like fitness communities, like the guy that runs, the girl that bikes, and the person who just does strength training all kind of are there for the same goal but in different ways. And yeah. now they can collaborate and do different <clears> things and look at each other and follow along and it, it makes for like a, a much better environment for what is typically a relatively lonely business. All right, Nick, I want to turn it back over to you here. Um, so you're the D2C guy. I think what's been really interesting from where, you know, I, I run a B2B business, it's mostly in the consumer space and probably talked about 450 brands in the past, like, I don't know, six or so months. And there's been like our clear recalibration and obviously part of that's macro and like you know capital markets tightening up venture money not flowing as much as it used to but some people are sort of looking at like the the all birds Maury parkers and thinking that directing consumer is dying as a channel so i sort of wanted to just get your, your reaction as a d2c guy of like what what do you think's happening in d2c right now so just like real estate i don't think it's dying i think it's just that um you know when you have a uh, cookware set that's triple the price of what you can get on Amazon. Um, you know your luxuries get cut out. I think also a lot of people um, somehow didn't realize this earlier, but direct to consumer is just a channel. It's just another way to sell. It's the ability to uh, sell directly to your consumer without having Target in the middle. But um, you know I've always viewed direct to consumer as like the the best way to to set up testing of like what works and what doesn't. You can in you know six hours know how to sell tequila in San Diego versus NorCal versus Austin versus Boston. And, and then you can take those learnings and apply that locally you know, on the store or in right. sampling. And so direct-to-consumer really is, one, it's a sales channel. Right. And the second is that it's the fastest way to understand and get learnings. You know, if you, if you were to launch a brand and sell pillows and go try to sell them and understand if your pillow is a good product or if you're messaging it the right way or if the, the way you describe it on the packaging is the right way to say it, you know, it would take you a year to do that in retail. Right. But on, uh, with a direct-to-consumer sales channel, you can spin up a landing page in you know, a couple hours and then you can iterate on that landing page and you can use technology to look at user recordings on that page and you can see where somebody's stopping and reading and what's somebody right. highlighting and yeah, we did a lot which of eye one is exactly and stuff when i wrote and so, software yeah and so um, so that's where i think direct to consumer really has the edge for for a ton of brands it's a huge sales channel for a lot of brands now it's just a testing ground it's like it's the means to understand what works, you know, especially in things where you don't have a normal consumer, consumer buying behavior online, beverage and alcohol and skincare products. It's really a testing ground to learn what works, how yeah. to talk about it to different types of people and solve different problems. Um, and, and a lot of times too, like we were just talking about before this, uh, it's very easy to build the product now, right? The product side only gets easier. And so figuring out your angles of how you're gonna sell it is, is what you could do leveraging the platform of direct-to-consumer. So yeah. I don't think it's dying. I think it'll be back pretty soon. It's already on the up and up. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the brands that are really um, religious about their numbers and their bottom line and, and not overspending, they're only seeing growth. And um, so I think it'll be back. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good perspective. I mean, we have, uh, what was it, Dollar Shave Club or Harry's where they literally just made a landing page. They didn't have a product. They didn't even make the product yet. Right. They made a landing page and sent paid ads. We're able to learn a ton about their consumer before they even launched. And that allowed them to iterate before they made all those investments on getting on shelf and stuff like that. Exactly. 
Ryan, you have real estate content creation. Sharma, you have content consulting investment. Together, they fly, they form this like, you know, very great flywheel where they all sort of feed off each other. I'm curious how you think about them differently, um, how you analyze them, what objectives you have for each of them. Every business we have has three main goals for the year. Then underneath those main goals, then we have sub goals, right? Which then break into our kind of our, our main OKRs and then our quarterly KPIs. So we can just track. And honestly, they're best used so that no one forgets anything. Because throughout the year, you know, a lot of what you do ends up, no matter how you say you run your business, you're, you're putting on fires all the time. Right. You have employee fires, then someone quits, and you're hiring someone, now you gotta do this, and then this happens, and then, you know, a bank or seven fall, and <laughs> you know, the market goes upside down, and then you're trying to deal with that, and like, wait, is revenue not where we thought? And then you're like, shit, what was our main goal? <laughs> I totally forgot. Right. Yeah. And so, and so for brokerage, as an example, we have like our main three goals that everyone stays on top of, they stay focused, are a gross revenue goal, total agent count goal, and markets open goal. Everything else then follows underneath those goals. And the same thing for education and the same thing for, for studios. Um, and that's, that's how we keep the train moving and stay goal-oriented and moving forward. Like we even have PR goals, like press goals. It's important yeah. for us to consistently be out there in an, in an earned way and not you know, in a way that we're pulling in the messaging instead of just pushing out our message everywhere. Um, and the one that I like the most, I mean, I love them all, you know, for different ways. So like all my, like three kids, right. you know, like brokerage is my first kid. Yeah, right. That's where we started, you know, and, and he's, he's good. Um, my middle kid is, is content because we start, we went there next. And so they're like the middle child, kind of crazy. Yeah. Like kind of like some days you love them, some days you're like fucking... Did we have to have the middle one? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like really, no, because content's all over the place. And then the baby, like the one you like, you love, because you're like, oh, you're our baby. It's education. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's education. Because we really got into that business, honestly, in August 2019, and then we thought we were toast when COVID happened, and then it was the exact opposite. Yeah, it's so interesting. Nick, what about you? You got you got hooks. You got charm brands. Got 1180. How do you think about them? Like, is there clear centralization? Is there decentralization that needs to happen in those respective categories? Well, uh, so the way I think of it is like we have the service businesses, which is those three. They're basically they're all focused on different pieces of a brand's journey. We've got uh, the content. You quickly cool plug them for people who don't know. Sure. So Sharma Brands is like high touch consulting. Think the red carpet approach for brands between 25 and 300 million in revenue. Yep. 1180 is a branded content studio. So if you ever see, you know, ads that are that are that don't look like ads in your feed, that's us. And then uh, the third one is Hooks. Hooks we make landing pages for real estate agents, for B2B companies, SaaS companies, brands, uh, freelancers, content creators, etc. And so um, those are sort of like the the consulting arms or the service businesses. Then the second piece to that is content. And the third one is uh, investing. And so the way I think of it is, you know, I create content, this brings us clients. We create good work with clients, this creates more content for me. The more content that goes out, the more, you know, new founders find me. So like Sanzo or Amsam or, uh, you know, half the list of this podcast, uh, (laughs) they'll find me before launch and I'll get the opportunity to invest and be a part of these brands um, and then use the service business as well to help them grow as um, you know as they launch and scale yeah but um, but I think the you know they're all fun in different ways the Sharma brands and the the service businesses are fun because we're working on things that end up in people's hands and you see emotions with products and hands and you know um, you get texts from people and whatnot the content is fun because you get somebody telling you you know this newsletter um, saved my business from going under and now we're you know profitable or right. Uh, you know, we use this playbook to launch, and we just raised a hundred million dollars from Andreessen. Um, and then, of course, the investing is fun because you know I, I don't think there's anything more fun than seeing something at ground level and and build it up to you know something where it's doing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, guys, you're you're both really you know well accomplished individuals. Uh, the question I think I have for you is, um, what are you most proud of as you sort of look? backwards what am i the most proud of like other than my daughter um actually i don't know if i'm proud of her like i'm you know she was gonna come what you know what i mean like yeah, whatever yeah, right we'll see we'll see how it shakes out <laughs> yeah kind of um what am i most proud of 
you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm super proud of, of our team. That's a boring answer. That was <laughs> yeah. mine too. Yeah, like <laughs> the team, the team, the team. But you know, I, I, I am. Um, you know, I. Here's a, here's a weird moment. This, this sounds. This might sound shallow, but I guess I don't care. Um, our headquarters is in Soho, right? We have right. an entire building. It was Tommy Hilfiger's flagship store in Soho. Talk about the repurposing of big box retail when people don't go to the third floor to buy jeans anymore. And so we have this whole building. It's like Sirhan everywhere. It's on the corner of Broadway, yes, uh, West Broadway and Broome, right? And so, um, you know, when we started the company, like, I was, I was everything. Like, I, I was doing all the deals, doing all the work, keeping the business afloat. I'd just taken this whole freaking building in the center of Soho like a lunatic. And I, I've had a car and a driver for you know, 12 years, because right. it's my office. That's where oh, I right. work in the back. Yeah, it's like how I buy my time back. When I first got the car driver, I couldn't afford it at all, and I was like, who the hell do I think I am? And now I can't survive without it. There's a fire hydrant right in front of our office, and I can always pull up really, really easily, you know, because no one ever parks there. Right. Um, and a couple months ago, you know, oh, it's right after our, like, our two-year anniversary, like, we'd gotten to, like, 250 agents, you know, it was great, and we're coming down West Broadway, and there's all these damn cars parked in front of the building. And I'm like, mother, god damn it. And I get out and I see that there's drivers sitting in all of them inside of like these cool Mercedes right, and this right, guy's right. Land Rover. And, and then I realize, oh my God, these are my agent's drivers. Wow, that's crazy. And they're upstairs right now working. And I'm like, we fostered an environment where we've taken young people. The average age of a real estate agent in the United States is 55 and she's white, right? right. Our average agent is 27. We've been able to take young people from totally different walks of life and give them the ability to come and make a lifestyle for themselves that they never thought was was possible yeah. and that was a moment where i was like one dicks in my spot right two <laughs> okay this is pretty cool that's such a cool story because i think essentially what you've imparted on them is like the value of time and like how to fight and win it back yeah, you try to lead by it. example right not that that's I, I hope that's not my only example um, uh, but if they're at a point, like, I don't pay for that stuff. Right. If they're at a point where they're doing well enough, doing, you know, learning the way that we've taught them, um, and then reinvesting back into themselves to grow and to do even more, like, then that's a massive win for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Nicholas. Thomas. What do you got? <laughs> so initially I was thinking culture, team culture. Um, but, you know, if we get a bit more uh, surface level here, I would say probably the logos we've worked with, they're, you know, companies that I dreamed of or used as a kid. That, that was really cool. It's just, um, you know, every time working with a brand where it's, you know, uh, or even in this case, like sitting in a room where I'm next to Ryan, right. you know, and I used to watch Ryan on YouTube a long time ago. Um, but I think I would say, you know, the, the, the social proof board, the logos we've worked with, the office address that we have in New York City. Um, it's amazing. You know, that to me is pretty old. cool. 26. It's a lot of fucking life in yeah. a lot, just a few years, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Just wait till your hair looks like mine. <clears throat> I'm starting. You see this right here? I got one. You won. And I, I got one more down here. Fuck wow. Man. I know. Yeah, I started going gray when I was 16 years old. Yeah, that was in our research notes that Nick's assistant made. Yeah, I had a researcher pull like oh, really? four pages yeah. on you. Nice. <laughs> you, want, what else, you want to see what else we got? Yeah. We got the stat of 84% of real estate agents. Ryan says the most important one. skill for real estate is improv and theater. It gives you quick thinking on your feet and forces you to listen in theater because okay, great. you memorize. Perfect. In 2018, there were 80,000 real estate agents in New York. 84% of them quit their job in the first year. We got, we got a yeah, whole yeah. gang of that. Great. All right, ready? We sold six million our first year and did $80 million in sales last year. That's what the COO of Adventure Challenge, a longtime customer of ShipOps, shared with ShipOp the other day. The pace of growth for Adventure Challenge has been insane, but it wasn't all positive. It started with a failed crowdfunding project. Then investors assured them that their business would fail. They raised $0 in outside capital. And it somehow only took a few years to hit $80 million in sales. They started off fulfilling all orders themselves. They'd have U-Hauls packed with thousands of products, making endless trips from their storage unit to the post office. It was not scalable. It was definitely hurting their growth. It definitely wasn't fun. That's when ShipOb started their partnership with Adventure Challenge. By being able to focus on growing the business and product development, sales took off like a rocket ship. While Adventure Challenge initially focused on D2C sales, their popularity started driving other conversations. They started to stock several hundred smaller boutiques across the country then Francesca's, 
than Kohl's. And while they're based in California and most of their customers are in the U.S., the word of mouth and viral videos on TikTok and Instagram started driving demand around the world. So then they started filling orders out of Canada, and then the U.K., and now Australia. From a failed Kickstarter and getting $0 in outside investment on day one to over $80 million in revenue, Adventure Challenge has defied the odds and built a global powerhouse brand alongside their partnership with ShipBob, who's there to help you completely unlock your brand's growth. Read the entire story at shipbob.com forward slash adventure dash challenge. Stop four. Uh, it's a game called The Hot Box. It's a, sort of a, a riff on the hot seat. Is it because we're in a box and the sun's on us right now in it's New York really City? really hot. There you go. Yeah. So the joke was, the first two episodes, everyone's like, it should be called The Cold Box. It's freezing in here. And now oh. the sun's finally out. Um, but essentially, I'm going to ask you guys like a this or that question. Um, the goal is that you answer it sort of without thinking as quickly as you can. So um, you guys ready? Yep. All right, Wait, we'll do, we'll we, do uh, Ryan, yeah, first, Ryan first, the next second. Right. Ready? Sure. Cold plunge or hot tub? Hot tub. Hot tub. Beach house or ski house? Beach house. Beach house. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Sunset. Neat or messy? <laughs> uh, neat. Neat. Corgi or golden retriever? Uh, uh, we say a corgi? Corgi. Uh, golden retriever. Also golden retriever. Winter or summer? Summer. Summer. Tennis or golf? Golf. Tennis. Pineapple pizza or candy corn? Candy corn. Pineapple pizza. Live music or DJ? Live music. DJ. Live in space or underwater? In space. In space. Fight one horse-sized duck or a thousand duck-sized horses? One horse-sized duck. Also one horse-sized <laughs> duck. <laughs> Sweet snacks, salty snacks? Sweet snacks. Salty snacks. Call, text, or audio notes? Text. Text. Dude, don't. Are the people that audio note... I, like, not, I haven't I, I haven't converted yet. What's your time restriction? Mine's like if it's over ten seconds, it's never getting listened to. Yeah, no, I I literally write back and I'm like, hey, thanks I so think. much. Please text me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, yeah I I'm not on your time. I have yeah. to listen to you now. <laughs> Reading or writing? Writing. Writing. Work remote or on site? On site. On site. Laundry or dishes? Neither. <laughs> yeah, dishes. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, TikTok. Twitter, TikTok. Dancing or people watching? People watching. People watching. Cocktails or beers? Cocktails. Water. Feel too hot or too cold? Too cold. Also too cold. Give up bread for life or cheese for life? Cheese. Cheese. Air, air guitar or air drums? Air drums. Air drums. Board games or video games? Video games. Board games. Start early or leave late? Start early. Leave late. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Uh, non-fiction. Trucks or billboards? Both! At the same time! There Someone should go. make a company How that does that. How about billboards on trucks? Oh! Alright, good news first or bad news first? Uh, bad news. Bad news. Alright, bad news is the show's over. We're at our oh, final stop. Oh, man. So guys, honestly, thank you for, for joining me. This was thank a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool intersection of, of two different lanes of people at the top of their game in their respective lanes. So it's been awesome. Want to give you guys a, a quick chance to tell the audience where they can learn more about you, plug some of the things you're working on. So, um, Nick, why don't you just go first? Yeah, easiest is uh, come find me on Twitter, Mr. Sharma on Twitter, or um, you can pay my bills and sign up for my newsletter. It's completely free to you, but just Google Nick email, N-I-K email, you'll find it. Cool. Uh, everywhere at Ryan Sirhant. There you go. And Sirhant. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me on uh, Driving Performance. Thank That's you. Thank you. That's a wrap. We lived. And no seatbelts. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>